to The Tenderness Revolution, a podcast about the stories of kindness, compassion and empathy that play out in our lives, because these deeply moving experiences describe what it means to be human and invite us into a new way of thinking about the world and each other. I'm your host, writer and journalist Yvonne Gavin. And every episode, I'll be asking a new interviewee about a pivotal moment of tenderness that helped shape the course of their life. I'm here today with Malaboho Molefe, a former national basketball player from Botswana who, at the age of 29, was brutally attacked and shot eight times by her former partner who subsequently committed suicide. The attack left her with a spinal cord injury, confining her to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Unsurprisingly, this experience profoundly changed Malaboho's experience of the world. But rather than isolating herself from society and falling victim to negative thoughts, she chose to connect with other women and girls with disabilities who are often at even greater risk of domestic violence and now uses her profoundly traumatic experience to motivate, empower, educate and inspire others. And in 2017, she was selected, along with 11 other women from different nationalities, to receive the prestigious International Women of Courage Award. Malaboho continues to speak globally on the issue of domestic abuse, gender-based violence and the intersection of disability, gender and violence. She's currently single and lives in Botswana. It's so good to have you on the podcast with us. And you have such an amazing story. Mm. I can't wait to hear about your journey. But first, I really want you to share your moment of tenderness with us. Because the idea behind the Tenderness Revolution podcast is that essentially our lives are made up of all these little stories stitched together and when we shine a light on the scenes where we felt a profound sense of connection to something bigger Mm. than ourselves moments when we felt seen or understood or that we had a deeper connection to the world around us Mm. it's as though we're awakened to like a greater sense of meaning and purpose Mm. i'd really like to hear your moment yes um, walk into I love the last words that you used like walk into the real world of peppers um, from my mist in my perspective from my mist of pain heartache heart wrench frustration and sadness um, and re- acknowledgement of hard facts came at the moment of tenderness this is a moment when I looked at the sad but brave face of my mom that I realized that I had to hold my end of the bacon. This is a woman who my life depended on. And at that moment when I was lying in my sickbed at hospital, I realized that she was the only thing that made my heart tick. She held me together you know it felt like when she was not there that i was not together so i realized that having her around me gave me the courage gave me the strength and even though she herself was battling she had this 
significant amount of grace that she could draw from. She had the strength, this amazing strength that held everything together. And I knew that she was battling herself. And as the only child, as the provider, I knew that I needed to be strong that moment for her. I needed that I needed to fight despite the battles that I was going through internally, despite the pain and the hurt. And I needed that I, there was a certain kind of purpose that was initiated inside of me that I needed to do something to hold myself together for her. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Malabogo, for sharing that with us. Yeah. That's so powerful. I have got shivers down my spine because I really feel it. I really feel that it's it's as though you're describing like a deep connection that you have yes. with your mother. But also the way that inspired a deep sort of purpose in you yeah. as well. And it was really was a pivotal moment. It sounds as though it was a, a turning point for you or a moment yes. where you decided that you ha- you were going to have to really... You had to get better. You, you absolutely had to. I, I, this is a moment when I felt, you know, for some times when I woke up from my reverie, after the incident that had happened to me, I felt like I I, 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 I questioned myself. Obviously, I had moments when I felt really at my lowest and I felt like I, I there was no purpose at all. I questioned why God allowed me to survive. But, you know, being in a different country, being in a different space, that also came up with a lot of burden because first of all i have to reflect on the fact that we i my mom was not working and i was the sole provider for her i'm the only child and her being in a foreign land where she didn't have accommodation and yet i was hospitalized meant um that there was now more there was there was now so more there was an added challenge of um um having to sustain herself and having to pay for hotels and so forth but then i was in hospital and she also needed to be there so that she can take care of me and noting that all of these things brought about a certain amount of challenge and burden to both of us and not at any point had she succumbed to the pressures. She was always very withstanding. She was always, always giving me courage. And she was my pivotal support. She offered so much that no one else could offer me. Then I realized that my life depended on her love. My life depended on her strength. And for that, I needed to fight for her because I needed to stay alive so that I can I can I can make her happy. Oh. My life depended on her mm. and I, I you know I've never felt that amount of love for anyone and maybe it, it started to dawn on me that I needed to do better mm. that I, I I didn't have to give up so that I could be there for her so that 
when she instilled that that strength inside of me and that hope mm. that I also needed to give it back to her and fight for my life. Oh my gosh. Wow. So Malabogo, just to go back, what you're describing here is, is this 2009? This is in 2009 so, when I had my injury. So you're in yes. hospital in South Africa, yes. which is the foreign land that you're yes. describing because you're from Botswana yes. and it's in Botswana where you had your, where this incident took place. Yes. Would you be able to describe the incident to us for our listeners? What, yes. what happened on that night? Yes, on that fateful night, unfortunately, I was attacked by my ex-boyfriend. We had heard problems in the past which had led to this path. Um, we had had arguments and unfortunately the relationship had broken irretrievably. So we had to part ways. Unfortunately, he did not take the news well and after a certain amount of time like a few months he started to communicate back and he wanted us to get back together but i could not offer him the same respect as you know in relationships you keep going back and forth hoping mm. it will get better with time but then you know it had really broken mm. and there was nothing else to repair it so unfortunately he wanted to to he wanted the relationship to go further so when he wanted when he communicated back and wanted us to go back together i did not afford him that same respect so he came unannounced on that fateful night he had called Elia and asked us to meet but i didn't want to meet with him because i knew he had a he, he had a very short fuse and I was afraid that if I allowed him to come and see me, he would probably beat me up or do things to me that he had done in the past. So I was really fearful of him. Mm. So on that fateful night, he came unannounced. It was around 2 a.m. in the night. I wasn't expecting him. And he shot at the door a couple of times until it broke and he was able to forcefully gain entry. This is when everything happened. It happened so fast. He instructed me to get dressed uh, because obviously I was sleeping and it was in the wee hours of the morning. And I was I was hoping to go to work because it was on a Sunday and I was asking. It was on a. Uh, it was early morning Monday mm -hmm. and I was hoping to go to work that morning. So he quickly instructed me to get dressed. I quickly got up from bed and I I got dressed as. As he led me to God knows where, I believe the my neighbors could have had the fracas when he shot the door, and they may have called the police to my rescue. That is when when he opened the gate, I saw I was um, blinded by lights from outside. From it was the police and the soldiers were already outside, so they called he quickly out of panic closed the gate and he pulled me back inside the yard so the whole time that's when he placed the gun on the side of my head you know i could feel that metal cold metal weapon pinned on the side of my head painfully and he pulled the trigger when he pulled the trigger i didn't know what was happening because i wasn't confusion 
the gun had jammed so this is actually when i felt the gods were on my side he immediately tried to cock back the gun into a preparation and that is when i tried to flee i had not fled any further when i felt a hot substance pierce through my back and i fell to the ground face down and he came over me and shot over my still body a couple of times until he was certain that the deed was done and i felt a loud bang and he fell right next to my side and he had committed suicide oh my little guy yes i what a experience i i'm so moved by listening to it and i appreciate how tremendously difficult it must be for you to tell that story which is something that happened to you in your past in 2009 and amazingly incredibly you did survive yeah and you have gone on to thrive despite that atrocious Mm. incident and very 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 traumatic experience yes you know i was actually shot a total of eight bullets it was a very traumatic experience for me and for my family you know i woke up the next day in a it was in a moment of in in, in feeling um it was a moment of I don't know how to describe it. It was a moment of bewilderment. Mm. Uh, my family was there and my, my mom and they were all shattered. So it was really, really difficult. Yeah. So you were unconscious at that point. Yes. The police came and obviously an ambulance and they, they yeah. took you to hospitals. Yes. And then the next day you... you came round yes amazingly yes but of course the doctors in no time the doctors told my parents that I may not be able to survive the incident because of the the amount of um, because of the the extent of the injury so my parents were told that I may contract pneumonia develop pressure sores Uh, contract infections and eventually die so this is when they decided that no I needed to be taken to South Africa for a second opinion in medical intervention because you know this was like a new thing to Botswana Mm. but then in South Africa they have experiences of gunshots and so forth so that's the reason why I was immediately transferred to South Africa right right and that turned out to be a really good decision because they you were in hospital absolutely yes and I was hospitalized for quite a while Mm. um, because I needed to because with the the extent of the damage that was done to my body I had broken ribs had suffered internal bleeding I was a complete wreck Mm. without full knowledge of what light I had Mm. so I was hospitalized for almost six months and I needed to do so much within that space in my road to recovery and to recuperation. It must have been such an incredibly 
challenging and difficult time I can't even imagine what was required of you you were being required to try to fully commit to this this program of of physiotherapy I presume and medication and it must have been so 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 unbelievably hard and I, I imagine every day in that period you would be waking up and, and yeah. again and realising what's happened to you, you know, and having to come to terms with it. Yes. What was it like during that period? I, I presume yeah. I presume it's a kind of take every day, like you can only live in the moment. Yes. Or am I wrong? Were you constantly projecting yes. into the future yes. and, and trying to imagine what your life would be like or yeah what, what was it like what was going through your mind firstly surviving the attack was one of the most difficult experiences of my life firstly I had to there was the trauma part I had to fight for bare survival I also had to go through the emotions I had to question myself um, what did I do wrong? What? Why did he have to be so, so, so inhuman? Why would something like this happen to me? What, was I really such a bad person that God would allow me to suffer so much? And certainly there was the emotional and psychological part. How was I going to deal with all these emotions that were inside of me? The self-doubts, the... the you know, I, I just had so much to deal with, just the emotions and having to understand the the injury itself and how was how I was going to go about it and how was I going to be able to heal. And lastly there was the disability itself. I mean, being so vibrant, being uh uh, uh, having a background of as, as uh, I was a, an athlete and I was playing for the national team at the time and having to go through all of that and to process it and I asked myself how was I going to look at my peers and tell them that I was not able to walk or that my life had changed to such extremities and with all of those questions I needed to really sit and process everything and have a clearer understanding of what my life was going to be because I was new in the injury and I really um, needed support. Mm. I needed to go and, you know, I, 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 I had to have someone constantly reassure me mm. that it was going to be okay. And the reason why I say my moment of tenderness was when I realized that I had to fight, Mm. not only for myself, but most importantly for my mom Mm. and the love that she was able to give me and the the space that she created, that every moment when she was with me took Mm. all the pain, all the self-doubt and everything Mm. away. It made me feel calm. It made me feel needed. It made me feel like there was someone that I needed to fight for other than myself. And who else was going to give her any meaning of... She didn't have any other child. She didn't have any 
she didn't have it any other way and i was her i was her only hope and she was my rock and i needed to fight for her oh that's just so incredible <clears throat> the way you describe the way you felt at the time it's it's just so it's so moving um yeah. and what i think is amazing is how you know it just enforces the facts that relationships are yeah. so central to our yes. lives and you know they're how we show up in the world and it's yes. it's it's in relation to others the the support the love yes. the purpose that we experience through being in those relationships is mm. what helps us to go through our life and and yeah. hopefully in the best way that we can and yeah. it feels like one of the things that's incredible about you and i really mean this i think you're an absolutely incredible person one of the most inspiring people i've ever had the privilege to meet i think one of the things that's really incredible about incredible about you is the way that you were able to find that inner strength yeah because that's really what has enabled you to thrive yes. and go on yes. with the rest of your life yes. how could you talk a bit about how that process unfolded I know that you were seeing a therapist who really helped yes. you um, is there any way that you can explain how it how it kind of worked for you or what the process involved I'm presuming that there must have been some sense of letting go yes. of the anger or the resentment yes and also uh you know a, a feeling of hope a very strong sense of hope in yeah. terms of what your life was going to be mm. going into the future yeah. could you talk about that for us yes obviously when i was in hospital i had a lot of going on in my mind and one of the things that i was earlier on in my road or intervention to recuperation was that I was very, very angry. I was very angry and questioned so much about myself. Um, like I was saying earlier, was, was I such a bad person that I needed to have, you know, um, experienced such a brutal attack? Mm. Was I so, such a bad person to him that he needed to punish me in this way and i also question god mm. why god wouldn't protect me why is i such a bad person that god needed to punish me in this this way and you know of course i cried and i battled within myself and at some point i i just didn't want to talk to anyone except my mom who gave me such you know, you know when whenever i talked to her and she, she everything just came together it, there was this feeling that is unexplainable that really washed over me that would give me a possible outlook to even speak into a therapist so little by little i appreciated that someone 
other than my mother wanted to make things right, wanted to give me a clearer understanding of what really needed to to come out so that I can have peace, so that I can forgive, so that I can start the journey of healing. So that when that moment of realization came, it was like a, a rude awakening. So I went through with the with the with a um, psychological therapist who also you know was able to go with me on this journey and help me heal and one of the most important things in life that I came to realize is that forgiving myself and forgiving that individual who had caused this misery was was one of the biggest steps into healing and it was able to help me understand so many things about myself and having to appreciate my disability, appreciate myself for the person that I was. And with the support and love of my family, I was then able to say, I am exactly where I needed to be, that I needed to do something so that I could also, t I needed to go through the emotions so that I can understand what other people are going through. And this is when I started the journey to accept that I can also reach out to other girls who are in maybe similar situations and, um, and, and motivate them to come out of these difficult situations. Mm. This is when I started my journey to talk about my experiences with the hope that it will touch the lives of many. And I told myself that if one woman would listen and look at and, and, and you know, take from and draw from my experiences and maybe change their circumstances and save them from potential danger. Oh, that's incredible. So you really you you managed to locate this sense of purpose within yes. you and that's what really propelled you forward and enabled you to start to recover yes absolutely. Um, and gave you the the inspiration and the hope yes in terms of what your future could look like yes. and one amazing thing that really came out was the fact that when you start talking to people you think that you're actually helping them but little do you know that little did I know that I was actually helping myself heal wow. and with that the, that the, the pain was uh, moving away from me and I was releasing it to other people that I was healing wow. and it, there's just some phenomenal thing going on about it mm. that is re, 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 very hard to understand but it's, it's just that moment where you talk to people and you think that you are helping them with their pain that you're actually helping yourself to deal with the emotions yourself gosh that's really really fascinating and yes. so going into it going into this journey of of mentoring and inspiring yes. and helping other women you know you that purpose and that hope it was there but it it kind of the healing journey was was continuing throughout yes. yes that's really really interesting yes um can i just talk a bit about forgiveness with you because yes. i i would imagine that lots of people listening to this would be surprised or amazed yes. to think that you could forgive 
someone for you know such an atrocious and and terrible act how how do you do that how do you let go of of those feelings of deep resentment and and pain you know it is not easy to forgive and forget obviously you can forgive but you can never forget such a, a, a an experience of this nature of this magnitude um, when I was in hospital, it wasn't easy for me to even think about the details of the, that horroring experience. But once I talked to my therapist and once I talked to friends, I had conversations with a lot of people. And again, you know, when you're in hospital, your situation is different because you are around people who have similar experience or even worse. So it is not as easy. As, as comfortable as when you are outside hospital. Mm-hmm. So when I was there, it was more easier for me to relate with other individuals who had maybe gunshots, injuries, who couldn't walk, who couldn't talk, who couldn't hold. And once you go out of that space, then that is when the challenge comes. So when I was back in Botswana, it was then that my journey, my actual journey of healing started because now I was faced with pe- people now were able to see that I was in a wheelchair, mm. that I needed to go out of my home and into spaces, which wasn't easy as well. So this is why I needed to have constant um, support, constant um, um, therapy with my counselor, because immediately when I got here, I had a, a, a personal psychological therapist who would come to my house and have conversations with me and from those conversations she was able to plant a seed of growth a seed of realization and a seed of um, forgiveness to take me through the emotions that I needed to forgive myself so that I can be able to forgive everything and forgive that individual who had perpetuated this act and and one of the things that I really was able to note was that I then became free in my heart. I was able to say, yes, I forgive him. He was wrong. He caused so much pain, but he's no more. I needed to move with my life because I could not die, let my emotions die with him. And because I still had life inside of me, I needed to do something positive. And I had to have have a positive mindset, Mm. a positive outreach to life. And this really helped me grow and it helped me be able to reach out to other people. And it is not an easy journey. But once you have that feeling that you are free, then comes with a, a whole lot of, Uh, positivity and a whole lot of energy that really makes you feel like a a complete individual and of course with the support the the, the, the tremendous support of my family and my friends it it, it really made the journey worthwhile oh wow that's so incredible so you're describing how when you start to feel that weight the weight of the 
of the resentment and and this inability to forgive when yes. you start to feel that lift yes. it feels so incredible it feels so good that yes. you that inspires you to want to keep working on that and it really inspires you to feel human again because given the fact that disability on itself is a challenge and when you are an in a newly injured individual it becomes very difficult for you to navigate your life like it was before so i needed to learn how to propel the wheelchair first mm, of all of and how to be in spaces with people and feel comfortable yeah. like i am today mm. so those are just steps in life mm. that really needs to happen to you so that you can be wholesome so, so yeah so there was all those practical things yes, that you were going to have to get to grips yes, with on top of yes. all the emotional so i was just an i i i really appreciate that with the help of the psychologist the psychological therapies with support of my family i became a new it's like a new lease to life mm. where you feel like you can even fit just the way you are life doesn't have to be perfect mm. no one is perfect and i realized that even walking people have got problems so who was who was i not to have to feel this way so i needed really to be and um, to understand it in that in, in in that kind of way for it to feel logical to me and to feel logical to other people and for me to be able to inspire and motivate people through my experiences so they know that there's always light at the end of the tunnel that life doesn't just go because something um of that nature has happened to you oh, absolutely oh, incredible <laughs> in in terms of the forgiveness mm. was it something like you had empathy perhaps with your ex-partner's pain he must have had pain and he obviously wasn't in his right mind to yes. do what he did was it through trying to understand him that you were able to forgive him or was it was it something else what what was the i i, I just don't believe that any of my heal my healing had anything to do with him specifically because when i was at, at that stage in my life i was really really hurting and i think the only thing that i did was selfishly to think about myself and to think about my mother i didn't really think about him that much the only time that i thought of him was when i would have questions as to why he would do that mm. and I, I i i i i hardly ever dwelled on thinking about what his thoughts were okay. of course the way moments were think what was he thinking yeah. why he would he do this yeah. but not necessarily that i would dwell on to pity him yes I I I never really pitied him. I just pitied myself. And I think because I was overburdened by pain. Mm. I had this tremendous pain that was is is just inexplainable. I didn't mm. think that someone would function when the body was overwhelmed by such pain. So most of my thinking was taken by the 
amount of pain mm. that I felt in my body mm. that I needed to do exercises and I needed to do so much but my pain was my my body was really sore mm. so I think most of my thoughts were taken by the fact that I was in so much pain mm. that I needed to deal with and mostly in medication and I was just the only time that I was really really happy and that took away everything was when my mom was Aww. with me. <laughs> so it was the only moment when I felt I was just me. Comforted. I was very, very comfortable. Safe. Yes, mm. I was very, very safe. So once she had to go back to Botswana, when I was in hospital, mm. I would really feel at my lowest. Oh. Yes, but when she was around me, so that is when immediately when I was out of hospital, I was then free to be with her and I was just under the tender love of my mom and everything was just sane. <laughs> so it sounds like what you're talking about is acceptance. What yeah. actually happened was it wasn't so much of a process of understanding why your ex-partner did what he did. It was more of an acceptance of this happened yes and now i'm here and yes. i'm i've i've got this my life has changed direction yes so now what do i do where do yeah. i go from here mm. and from what you've said what really astounds me is this real curiosity that you have for life and yes. this real kind of optimism yeah. has that always been there is that who you've always been? I, I want to believe to some extent I've always been a very positive individual. Uh, maybe it came handy to my healing because I wasn't really drawn into the negativity of the whys and why not, you know. So I was mostly looking forward to my healing and I listened to my doctors and I'd heard to the advice that they gave me and I did my bit in my journey of healing. I needed to do something and I did exactly what I was expected despite the difficulties because I, I you know, it, it, I go, I, I went back to being a child again. I, mm. I learned how to touch, how to hold a glass all and I, I really appreciated my progress as I went along because now I was able to sit on a wheelchair and gradually move with so many things that uh, were foreign to me. That, so, yeah, so I, 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 just like a child, I needed to learn how to do things again. Gosh, that's incredible. I hadn't, so, I hadn't realized that you yes. weren't able to use your I wasn't your hands. able to do anything. I wasn't able to use my hands. Oh. I wasn't able to sit like I am sitting now. So this was like a gradual progress that when, you know, once you know how to do something new, you learn new tricks, then you become very happy about it. So all of this, you know, led to a path where I felt, wow, I'm really doing better and it, it gave me a sense of hope mm. and a realization that things can actually work no matter the difficulties. Yeah, so yes. you were really living in the present moment. Yes. And acknowledging your progress and yes. then kind of celebrating it. Celebrating sort of day by day step. with yes. hope. Yes. 
That's oh, that's truly incredible. Yeah. I I really want to hear some more about your work yeah. with women, the inspirational yeah. talks, the yeah. the mentoring that you yes. do. So it seems as though there's two parts to it. There's the the domestic violence yes. part, and then there's the kind of raising awareness of yes. women with disabilities yes. part. Yeah. Um, in terms of the domestic violence, I mean, I, I've just been looking into domestic violence in Botswana and sort of also the in the wider context in the world. And yeah. I, I can't actually quite believe, I mean, I knew that it was not a good situation, but the mm. extent mm. Of, of women suffering domestic violence still today, I think yeah. probably a lot of us would think that it wasn't really a problem and it maybe it has been in the past but it it is and I think according to a a UN report is it one in three women in Botswana experience some sort of domestic violence or Mm. um or similar in their lifetime what do you think is is going on like what's driving this why is it that in 2021 this is the situation that so many women face. Mm. Um, first, let me just reflect on my understanding of violence then. When I was still vibrant and outgoing, there was, there was, um, there, were num- there, were, there was a lot of violence going on, but just like anyone else, I was oblivious. I, I didn't really go into, or maybe I wasn't really interested in these issues. But as after my, my experience, it opened my eyes to the realization that there's a lot of violence going on. Every day when I was sitting at home, listening to the news and radio, then it started to dawn on me that, wow, so many girls are losing their lives the same way as me, or even worse. And I realized that uh, there was a lot of violence in Botswana, and I, I, I started to take note. And this is this really compelled me to do something to um, reach out to women, um, to motivate and inspire them with my story, such that I could save them from potential harm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through my work, I realized that. I thought that, you know, going out into these spaces, people would quickly pick out that, you know, the red flags and so forth and try and change their lives. But that is not the case. Of course, there are people who may be um, inspired to change, but not many people are willing to um, take the messages and do the needful. But what really has caused so much violence is the fact that um, there's a lot of things that really influence this. One of it being technology, that now people are moving to the world of technology and they're in spaces that really, especially women and young girls, that really create vulnerability for their issues. And also there are so many things like um, 
the lack of economic uh you know that Botswana is now classified as a mid- middle earning country yes. but the problems and issues that women face in the country have not really changed there's still lack of unemployment especially in rural areas where i come from where people, where women are reliant on their partners so this means that it places them in a, in a in a spot where they're not able to fend for their families and their children and so forth and there are a lot of um w- girls that are dropouts and there's no um significant interventions for where they will go after after this right so there are no opportunities the lack of opportunities places them in this um in these situations where they're not they are dependent on their partners which exacerbates the level mm. of violence mm. because once you are dependent on someone which means that they can do anything because they are the provider so these are the reasons why there are so many cases of abuse and now with the advent of covid-19 we had seen so many cases because now people are being laid out of work the 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 breadwinners are laid out of work and now they are confined in similar spaces with women and children that is also exacerbating the amount of um violence that we see now uh young children are being expo- sexually exploited and as well as persons with disabilities because they are confined in similar spaces and there are no outlets for people to express themselves there are no outlets especially now that uh the many restrictions also to alcohol now men are in the homes uncles are in the homes and this is really creating a situation where women are not able to um express themselves they're being uh they're being silenced and children are also being sexually exploited so this has re- that so many things that are really uh adding to this increase of violence and uh unfortunately the the laws also are not protecting women enough and one other thing working in the space that us able to notice is that um women are not able to navigate the legal systems available um that are, can allow perpetrators to be held accountable so this is why we have multiple occurrences of violence that is perpetrated to similar people mm. yes you were explaining before on this issue um in a previous conversation about how um it's very difficult for women to get help because yes. there may be a conversation with the police but then yes. are the police trained to yes. understand yes. the kind of difficulties that they're coming yes. to them with and then you know there's you know other things like support counselors yes. and trauma support yes. but it's not joined up it's not connected it is not connected and like we you we often advocate for one stop shops these are like places where you find one counselor uh there's the police in the same building there's um because in other developed countries they have one stop shops where women can come and report and have services on, in under the same roof 
so this system in Botswana where you report here and you are sent to another place for counseling and you are sent to another place for testing and so forth really dis uh, discourages women to report cases and on the issue of women with disabilities is actually eight between three and eight times worse because of certain barriers where a woman with disability is not able say maybe a woman with um, intellectual disability or with hearing impairments cannot be able to communicate with an officer mm. at the police station when that's right there's also an issue of um, that um, women with disabilities have do not have privacy because when you go to report obviously when you have hearing impairments or when you are blind you cannot um, sign or write your own um, statement so you always need to have someone there with you and sometimes you're not able to express yourself uh, effectively and efficiently when there's someone there with you of and course. sometimes because they always have to be with someone who may also be a perpetrator mm. and there's no how that they can be allowed to report a case of violence so there are so many problems that we wish the government can address or we wish that the government can come and change certain policies and laws that can protect the lives of women and children. Absolutely. It sounds like there's so much work to be done. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But of course, we know that there is something in place, but it is not enough. Mm. And as long as the policies and laws are not um, are not strengthened, then we are always going to have these um, escalating numbers of violence in Botswana because then there are no outlets for women to express themselves, there are no opportunities and this really exacerbates mm. um, and increases the mm. level of violence that mm. we see in the country. Absolutely. Yes. Really interesting hearing about how the system works currently yes. in Botswana and, and how that really isn't serving yes. um, women um, who are experiencing domestic violence and you know, children as well, yes. especially women who have disabilities. Mm. So, you know, systemically, there's a lot that needs to be done. Yes. But I'm also really interested in what's driving this. And I'm wondering what you think about how boys are being brought up I mean not yeah. even just in Botswana but globally what are the values and the belief mm. systems that they are you know being taught that they're yeah. absorbing as they grow into men yeah and you know how are they being taught to relate to women and perceive women what do you think is is going on and what needs to change Yes, I mean, one of the key areas is culture plays a huge role into how men turn out to be, how boys turn out to be when they get older. Firstly, in our culture, men are told from a very young age that they are the head of the house. And also this, the, how they are going to grow up thinking that they are superior to women, usually... Um, places or plants a seed of superiority mm. Mm. 
against women and um, they always feel like they're mature enough to instill uh, because they think that they're providers they can do whatever they can do to, they can control yes, they can women, control yeah. and so forth and again you know the issue of within the issue of um, culture as well there are elements within culture that uh, places women in the back banner uh, because you know in Botswana women pay drawry for women and that also makes men think that they're superior and the patriarchal system I've, here in Botswana that women experience is that men will always feel superior because they pay drawry for women and in, 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 in that way they think that they own mm. women and they don't allow women as a place to express themselves mm. yes yeah that system of dowry is is interesting yes um so like you said it 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 encourages this belief of yes. ownership, ownership and control yes. superiority and, yes yeah. yes and again you know getting back also to your question about what needs to be done about young boys is that young boys need from a very young age to be educated about the implications of violating women and what it can do to them and just not a few days ago i was um actually i, I actually had a, a very sad story about a young girl who was stabbed by the boyfriend and ultimately the boyfriend committed suicide and all of this was happening when within this with, um, all of this happened when w with the child there oh the child was yes, present the, and watching the, yeah the, the boy child there with oh. them so actually what happened was the man wanted to kill the child both the mom and the child and then commit suicide such environments where violence happens within the home and the boys are there to to actually experience it is really increases their belief that it's okay to violate a woman from a, a young age so parents need to understand that it is it creates a hostile creating this hostile environment where there's a lot of abuse in the home actually uh, motivates young boys to grow understanding that they need to perpetrate the abuse themselves because that's the only thing they know when they see their mother their fathers beating their mom is the only thing that they know that they need to do to a woman so a lot of education really needs to go to everyone mm. to the parents on how they raise the boy child to be able to understand that it is not okay to perpetrate abuse or to to live in a hostile environment like the one that they're creating for the children mm. yes so that's so interesting so you're talking about patterns and cycles yes. that are repeated and how yes. important it is and and also i think it's really important like you said to focus on women actually a lot yeah. of development organizations really believe mm. that you know they need to focus a lot of their work on women because mm women have the biggest influence yes. on children yes. and if you think about in the case of, of female genital mutilation mm. it it is actually the women who are perpetrating, perpetrating. this form of violence yes. on each other so i suppose therefore we need to start with the women we need to start 
educating the way that women feel about yes. other women. Yes. Do you think? Do you think that women need to think differently about themselves? Yes, absolutely. And about other yes. women. There has to be. We need to cultivate the 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 energy of sisterhood, where women look at each other as mothers and sisters and aunts as one and 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 and, and um that uh, uh they they need to cultivate that that spirit of solidarity that as sisters we need to come together work together and know that if we are not we if we don't have that bond then nothing is everything is going to work against us Mm. Yes, no one is going to come to our rescue if we don't support each other and hold each other together, as well as hold each other accountable. Mm. If, um, like in the instance where the, there's this mutilation, of course it doesn't happen in Botswana, but as um, uh, as individuals we know that it does happen in some parts of Africa. It's really, really sad to watch women do that to each other. When, um, like I often say that. As women, we often talk about women empowerment, about equality and so forth. But if we don't come together and work together to see these issues through, then all our efforts are going to be negated. Yes, it is entirely up to us to show men that when we stick together, that when we build good relationships, that something can come out of it. And this is when men can also re respect us. Mm. If we don't respect ourselves as women and think that men are going to uh, be any different, then we're just lying to ourselves. Absolutely. Yes. And I feel as though you especially draw a lot of energy from other women, from your yes. relationship with your mum, yes. and also from female friends, which play yes. a big role in your life. And you, you have previously said to me something that really astounded me, and I, I've thought about it a lot ever since, yes. about how when it comes to the accident, yes. you felt, knowing your mother and knowing other women in your family yes. and your friends, that maybe this accident was supposed to happen to you and not yes. them. Yes, yes. There's a tremendous amount of... Um, appreciation or love for people around me i know that the, the love that my mom instilled inside of me is so enormous that i'm able to think for other people and sometimes you know i look most times i look at the people around me and think they're not strong enough i i want to believe that my mom my aunties my friends when i look at every everyone be it strangers I often think to myself that I am able to carry all of this and I don't know how I did it but I think that I don't think there's any other person who can hold it together like I did. I believe that God chose me to carry all of this burden, to carry eight bullets and to be at the brink, the brink of death, but I don't want any other person to go through this except myself. 
I'm the only one who could actually have had the courage to um, to heal the way that I've held. And looking at, I don't think any of my friends would would stand this. They would die instantly. <laughs> they will die. Wow. I mean, I'm it's... exactly where I need to be. You know. Mm. Yes. God me. God placed me here for a purpose, mm. and I think that I've fulfilled it um, the best way that I possibly can. I'm able to. Um, share it with so many people that I sh- that obviously touches them in a different way, and I'm happy that I'm able to change people's lives. It cannot be entirely, but if two or one person's lives um, is inspired by my story, then I know that I'm here for a purpose, for a greater purpose than I actually. Um, that I, I, I never believed was possible. Mm. Yes. You have so much faith in in life, I think, yeah. bringing you to be where you are, where you need to be, which <laughs> which I think that's what faith is. It's having yes. a deep sense of trust. Yes. But you spoke earlier about God, and, and I wondered how that, that changed, because you did initially think how could yeah. god have allowed yes. this to happen to me yeah did your relationship with god change or your your sense of of understanding things from that perspective change because let me just tell you about a small yeah. a conversation i had with my son that has made me think of you mm. um a very minor accident that he had yeah he broke his tooth his front yeah. tooth and it, it was the third time it had happened mm. and he was really annoyed that he was mm. going to have to go and get it repaired again yes. and he said you know if god really loved me mm. it, he wouldn't let this happen to me like yeah. he must be really angry with me yes. to have let this thing happen to yes. me again mm. and i said to him maybe god is the part of you yeah that enables you to be accepting of what's happened yeah and to believe that everything's going to be okay yeah is that is that how you feel uh, that I'm, your not, experience? I'm not too sure about because you know surprisingly i'm not like a hardcore christian yes i i even before my this incident i wasn't so much into church and Christianity and so forth. I was just an athlete. Of course, I prayed once in a while. But when this happened, it actually kind of was challenging, challenged my my um, my faith. And I asked myself so many questions, of course, about God, about maybe that I was a bad person, That what, that is why this has happened to me. But eventually... When I had gone through the the journey within my journey of healing, I then realized that indeed I was a child of God, whichever way that came. But to this date, I still am not such a hardcore Christian. I think I, I just something that just healed itself mm. and I don't question God anymore. I think that it's just part of life. Mm. Eve it is because everything is done by God, then be it. Mm. But um, I pray. I do pray, but mm. I'm not really too much into Christianity. Mm. Mm. Of course, people keep saying that 
It is because of God that you are here and that you are able to be healed. And I agree with all of it. Mm. But I'm not so much into um, Christianity that I process it mm. every day and you know kneel down and pray and thank God. What, what, what. But I do pray. I have my moments, but I don't know. Maybe it's, it's just something that lives inside of yeah. you. Maybe there's a God, like people often say that that's God everywhere. Yeah. And in, in everything that mm. we do, that is just what I believe. Mm. That you have to be human. Mm. Every single moment, you have to exercise kindness mm. and respect. Mm. Because God is lingers somewhere in, in, in our spaces, in our hearts. That is why we need to be gentle and be kind. So that people who go to church... Every Sunday, I don't want to be judgmental, but I I think that there are people who really think that just going to be ch- going to church is enough, that they're Christian enough, that that they understand God. But that isn't the case. I think our our individuality of the the things that we feel inside of us that propels us to act in in a certain way are guided by God. So that very moment when you do something bad or when you when you insult people or when you get jealous or when you when you do something really negative really sh- that's when you must question yourself if you are in the right of uh, in the path of righteousness mm, that's a disconnection yes. there. yeah that's when there's a disconnection so mm. I don't really believe in you know praying being um feeling like I'm a real Christian when in essence I don't relay that energy to people Mm. so there's so many people that I admire that are not in church Mm. but they really do good onto others through their actions through their their actions and their their beliefs yes Mm. so sometimes there's I, I don't really understand Christianity but I feel like God is always there and is always guiding us to do the right thing. Absolutely. Yes. I feel that too. Yes. You know, there are really hateful people out there, and but they go to church every day. Mm. So it doesn't mean that when you are in that space or when you are in church that you are too righteous. I think it just has to do with the individuality mm. of how you feel and what you portray. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And... As a, a disabled woman, I wondered if there was anything you wanted to say about your experience or what you wanted to say to people about the way they perceive you. Yeah. So I wondered if you ever feel that people are afraid of making eye contact with you <laughs> or if people are afraid of even speaking to you if you're yes. at a party because yes. they see your wheelchair and they feel intimidated by it yeah. but I know that you love having a good time at yes, a party you're there you know in the middle of it dancing having a glass <laughs> of wine yeah. you know you're you know you, being in a wheelchair hasn't stopped you from enjoying yes, yourself basically absolutely. what would you yeah. like to say to people about how how they respond to when they see the wheelchair how they respond to disabled people yeah you know one one really heartwarming thing about Botswana is that people are warming towards the up towards disability so you know in, in many years ago people didn't really understand much about disability but as things transform as we as we go into um, 
I don't know how to describe it. You know, now things, the world is changing and people are starting to warm up and acknowledge disabled persons. And of course, with the education that is being placed out there about the activism, about disability, now Botswana are warming towards uh, um, the issue of disability. So, but with my, with me, when I walk around town, I know people are curious when they see you because in the beginning disability was associated with maybe i don't know if i i I would be using the right word if i said they think that you're not you're not intellectually there ah yes usually when you are disabled people think that you're not in the right frame of mind to understand things Uh, maybe they want you to look dirty and not um uh, be smart you know when you when you're looking smart you look different so in my in my view or in my experience i'd say that people are usually curious mm. so sometimes they come to me and they'll ask me things like why are you smart but you you are in a wheelchair oh. things like that yes people are always curious to ask me so many sometimes demeaning sometimes i laugh about it and it, it doesn't really do anything to me because I know who I am. And um, disability doesn't really bother me that much, except when I'm in spaces when I'm, I don't have access. That is when there's a problem that I'll just question myself. I would have this feeling of, um, uh, of uncertainty about certain things like um, I, I don't belong. Mm. in that space mm. when there's no access mm. it usually it usually happens to me when i get to a place where i need it where i need to be lifted that right. I, I really don't like it no yeah I'm it makes surprised. me really feel like i'm a cripple i'm very vulnerable yeah it I'm makes beautiful. me vulnerable yeah. yes that's the yeah. right word vulnerable yeah. so other than that when i'm in spaces where i have access i fully enjoy myself like a an abled person mm. yeah so i want people with disability to really appreciate what they have and do what they can uh whenever they have the moment to do it mm. because we're not always in spaces where we feel 100 percent ourselves we are usually very vulnerable yes and that's why it's so important to see people with disabilities to yes. see them out in yes. the world taking part in the world they need to take part they need to of course there are so many disadvantages for them but if you can do, if you are in a space where um there's an advantage for you to be yourself then take it and use it to your advantage because we don't always have too many advantages Yes, be it in schools, you know, this, a, a, a lot of problems usually are caused by lack of access mm. for persons with disabilities and they're not able to express themselves because when you go, like I was saying, when I go to, even myself, when I go to malls where there's no access, I feel, I really feel out of place it and it be. can instantly change my mood because I'm, you know, sometimes you come and you're happy and looking forward to an event, but when you get there, you're supposed to be carried over some stairs. So it really takes you out of the mood instantly. Mm. Yes. And do you find there's an assumption by people that you'll be okay with that? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And people just don't understand 
how vulnerable we feel and how disappointed we feel when something of that nature mm. happens. Mm. Yes, because I've, I've actually had my fair share. Like I was presenting somewhere that just the other day. I, was, I came in high moods. I was well prepared. But the moment I got to that place, there was no access for me. Uh, the the okay. meeting the conference was actually in uh, uh, in in the second floor right and I was on ground floor oh. and I had to be li- literally lifted. I just wanted I, I I immediately wanted to stop and go back home. I felt like I needed to just go back. Mm. Yeah, I was turned off. I'm not surprised because yes. you would have had to have in your mind prepared yourself for yes. being very uncomfortable yes. and being completely out of your comfort zone yes. and like you said feeling very because vulnerable. Because sometimes you know with me I don't know if it happens to other disabled people sometimes I literally forget that I'm disabled yeah because when everything is smooth mm. you feel like you're just normal. Yeah that's how it should yes, be. Like when I was going through here I just came and everything was flowing and I never even had a moment of hesitation. So I'm just looking towards the interview and I'm here. Mm. But then imagine uh, if it was you and you have to cross, you, you are obviously on your, your, your two feet and you can walk and do everything. But if you're faced with, a, if you're going for an interview and you're faced with a challenge or a hindrance of having to walk through water and uh, water, or having to cross a river barefoot, it obviously take you off the mood because this is not something that you are expecting. So these hindrances mm. of access, especially, are really a problem for persons with disabilities. Of course, because that yes. how then can you focus fully on what you've come yes, to do? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed this conversation, Malabogo. It's yes. been absolutely tremendous and i will never forget speaking to you i really would like to end the conversation with a question that i ask all the interviewees on the tenderness revolution and Mm. it's about the fact that this quality of tenderness that we have for ourselves Mm -hmm. and others because you know they enable us to fully see the way things are are these Mm. three qualities that we experience as humans and they are courage curiosity and compassion yeah and i wanted to ask you if you had to choose one of these qualities that means the most to you in your life which one would you choose i will definitely with a doubt um choose courage courage is very important because with that then comes all of this compassion because you have the courage to think not only for yourself you have the courage to accept that something has happened for your for you to function so courage is a very very important aspect of one's life that um, i think that women not only myself because usually i speak for women children and persons with disabilities i say that you have the courage to um, do or to stand for yourself or that you have the courage to do your to use your voice to change the world and that our voices and our words are important 
and our lives are also important so that is why you need to have the courage to do um, that it will take you to do so many things that also brings about love and compassion oh, so yes. beautiful and it's like everything you've spoken about in this interview you know, you have that courage and it's connected to that sense of faith yes. and purpose and you have to just have the courage to surrender to that and yes. then bring that forth out into the world and yes, then absolutely. you'll be who you're meant courage to be courage is such a mentorship itself on its own that it really transcends you to greater heights because you can never do anything without feeling the courage to do it so it, it really is a motivational factor inside of us or it, it really trans, trans, transcends us into amazing individuals absolutely the courage to do what we can do and to accept the difference absolutely and i think you more than anyone that I've ever met is a woman of courage. In fact, you yes, were chosen as a woman fact, of courage. I'm, I'm, I'm actually the international woman of courage. So that speaks to yes. us. Uh, courage being one of the things that really is instrumental in one's growth. That's right. You were chosen, yes. was it in 2017? 2017, were... yes. I was um, awarded the International Woman of Courage in Washington, D.C. by the, the then former... Uh, First Lady of the United States, Mrs. Milena Trump. That's amazing and yeah. so, so well deserved, Malabogo. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so Yvonne. much for being on the Tenderness Revolution. Yes, I will yes, never I really forget speaking to you. Yes, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Tenderness Revolution. I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us. for listening to this episode of the tenderness revolution i hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us